Welcome, welcome. You're listening to our podcast, Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone. My name is Mark. I'm a registered massage therapist, registered kinesiologist here in Toronto, Ontario, Canada. We've got a late night session going on. Spent a full day at the office, way longer than I anticipated. But that's what I get for fucking playing hooky on my birthday, which was just the past Friday. So I'm doing a little bit of catch up and we've got a real cool guest hanging out on the other end of our Zoom call tonight after a little bit of uh, technical hiccups. (laughs) Yeah, I think you deserved that break on your birthday, Mark, you work more than any human being yeah, well, I've ever met. I'm, I'm so. not going to lie. I'm, I'm, I'm in semi-regret because I'm paying the price for it today with the amount of fucking catch-up work I got to do. No way, man. We had way too much fun this weekend. Hey, everyone. It's Amanda. And it is late night. Um, but I'm not. I, there is a time difference with our guest who is in Idaho. So what time is it there for you, Angela? It's about 8 o'clock. Okay. So it's a little bit earlier for Angela. It's 10 p.m. here. You know what? I guess it's not late night. What the fuck am I, 46 now? Now it's not suddenly fucking 10 o'clock is late night? <laughs> That's what happens, old man. Well, we are super excited about tonight's recording. And Angela, thank you for you know being so patient as Mark had to postpone it because he was doing so much catch up work today. Um, this is an episode that has been a long time coming. I think we may have even spoken about this on other episodes that we were hoping to get a death doula to come on and speak. And we hit the jackpot because Angela is not only a death doula, she is a body worker. Was she, she is everything. She was formally trained, trained in massage therapy, but she doesn't practice as a massage therapist. She does body work. But I have been told she gives an amazing massage. So we'll talk about that. Um, she's also a psychic medium. She's clairvoyant, all the Claire things. I'll let her tell you about it because I don't even totally understand all of this, which is even more exciting. And she does do the work that we've been desperately trying to get somebody to come on and talk about, which is the work of a death doula. We've had a couple of birth doulas on before, but this is a whole other aspect that truthfully before last year, I didn't even know existed. And to be honest with you, there's been a whole bunch of people, not a whole bunch, been a small handful of people right in our back yard that do this like we had on uh, earth kisses sky way back when we first started in 2018 and it's not till we did a follow-up recording with them i don't know a month month and a half ago that we found out tjen from earth kisses sky used to be a death duel i'm like yeah well we met our guest angela when we were doing the seven secrets to success summer summit with eric um that was in july and angela was one of the speakers at that summit as well and so yeah i mean i love doing all of these things because it allows us to network and meet with different people. And then we end up with really cool guests on the podcast. So Angela, thank you again for hanging out so late with us. Oh, you guys, I'm so excited to be here. Mark, happy birthday. What was your birthday? August 6th. So just Friday that passed. You, my friend, and I are right in alignment. I'm the third us Leos. Right on. I got Yeah, a, uh, happy birthday. Thank you. Thank you very much. I got a lion tattooed on my back on Thursday as a surprise for Mark, my Leo husband, and his initials are in the tail of the lion. I like it. It's really cool. Oh my gosh, that sounds fantastic. I hope you post something on social media so I can find it. <laughs> my daughter is an apprentice tattoo artist, so... Oh, cool. uh, I'm all about tattoos. Yeah. Well, don't get me started because the guy that did Amanda's tattoos and the one that she's she's talking about right now, and he's done one of the one of the pieces that I have on my body. And I, for the longest time, I've been trying to get in touch with the guy because there's something that I want done. And so I've been on a hunt for him. Like literally, I've been stalking him on on Instagram. I've been showing up at at his at his studio, knowing very well like the doors are going to be locked. He's in there with one person at a time, and I'm just hoping to fucking catch this guy. And I didn't know right? that Amanda. <laughs> 
had an appointment with him. And had I known all that, and so I went and made an appointment somewhere else because I was like, I can't. I guess I can't get a hold of this guy. So I, I'm gonna go. Somewhere I tried else. so hard. I didn't want to spoil the surprise, Angela, but I tried so hard. I was like, listen, Ronnie's a busy guy. He answers his email. Like sometimes you get a response from him five days saying. after you email. I'm just so I'm like, just give yeah. him time. He would get been back nice. to it you. It would have been nice to know that my wife could have just said, hey, my husband's been looking for you. My husband's been looking right. for you. And then I would have gotten a call right away instead. Yeah. yeah. Anyway, we'll see what happens. With I get this, it. Uh, it was it was worth the the surprise look on Mark's face when I revealed the uh, lion on my back with his initials because Mark's had my name tattooed on his body for four years. And um, mm-hmm. <laughs> he, he kind of always jokes when he looks at my tattoos, like, why isn't my name in there? He's like, I'm just going to take a Sharpie and add myself in there. <laughs> And I have no, no, I have no artistic abilities. So no, it would be you know terrible. How poor that's going to look. It's going to come out looking horrible. Well, I love uh, it. Enough about tattoos, but I am excited that I'm talking to two Leos tonight because, as an Aquarius, you are you are my people. I love Leos. We get along mm. swimmingly. So <laughs> let's uh, mm-hmm. let's introduce you, Angela. So as I mentioned, you do yeah. a whole bunch of things. So for everybody listening who doesn't know you, um, just a little bit about your background. What type of work you do and uh, yeah all the Claire clairvoyant things that uh, you do as well right so um, I started massage therapy school in 95 uh, 94 I opened my practice in 95 and immediately went into uh, specializing in labor and delivery I had my own childbirth education class I had a special meals program where my clients provided a week's worth of meals after baby was born or if the family ended up in some sort of crisis. Uh, I had a nonverbal communication course that I created. All of this very intuitively developed. Um, It wasn't more than just a couple of births that I realized that um, there's a lot of communication that is lost in the attempt to have words and um, no offense to men, but during the birth process, so much gets missed and men do not get to participate as fully as I could see that they could if they would just listen with more than their ears. So I started teaching nonverbal communication in a hot spring pool. And after five, six years, I had welcomed 110 families into the world, uh, entering into welcoming my third child. And uh, at his two-year inoculations, he received eight different inoculations at that time. And I was very unaware of exactly what all was happening Uh, I needed to get him into daycare so that I could increase my work uh, hours. And he had a very negative reaction and went from normal two-year-old development back to nonverbal, non-motor. And um, he stopped giving eye contact. So I had to very quickly pivot my practice. And I found a couple of my clients wanted from me Uh, what I did for my labor and delivery families to do for them in the end of life. One was a woman who um, was actively pursuing um, ending her life. Um, And I don't mean a suicide, but at least 
not a blatant suicide. She was ready to leave. Um, and the other was a client of mine whose wife was um, at the tail end or coming to the tail end. She just entered a hospice state. And information before she'd gone nonverbal had come out that there was some serious betrayal. Uh, and the family were reeling. And my client asked if I would please assist them in creating closure and healing in order to give her peace as well as the family because she was dying. I have so many questions yeah, already. So, okay. we, I, yeah, we almost have to pause. <laughs> we, have to, we have to pause. There's pause. so many questions. Okay. Um, Mark, I know we'll forget, so I'm going to let him go first. Tell me what I missed during the birth of my two children. I want to know what are the nonverbal communication that I missed that could have put me more present in the moment. So um, I'm sure you've heard that that a cat's purr is the same frequency as a, a big semi-diesel truck vibration and that those two frequencies emit a healing energy. Now, what most of us don't know, but us ladies do know with our, part, our, our male partners in particular, women have a harder time creating that deep bass rumble. But at the onset of um, flirtation and foreplay, men's voices drop and they can get kind of this growl. And that vibration is very powerful. And they let themselves hum at that frequency with contact with their partner, it actually sends a vibration that helps to scatter pain vibration. So cooing or humming while working with a laboring mom, the dad has the capacity to assist mom in dropping her tone out of the high pitch frequency, which increases pain and drop her into a state that spreads that pain out. It's like it flattens it some and it helps to reduce that high pitched pain that women feel while in labor. So teaching dads how to hum at that frequency is done uh, usually in a body of water and when they reach that hum that the mother, while pregnant, can feel really low in her body, usually it activates the baby into being alert and active. This, this, this tone, this pitch, this frequency, can it be mm -hmm. from anything that will bring that tone, that pitch, that frequency? Does it have to be a human sound or can it be computer tech generated iPhone, help you with your labor, the low intensity sounds that will help reduce pain. Am I, am I going to make a killing right now with this idea that I have? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm actually serious. Does, does it so, have to be, go ahead, tell me, can it be, uh, can it, can it be artificial or does it have to be real? I, on it, I don't know if it ha if artificial has the same effect. A lot of it also has to do with the touch and the coaching of mom. So dad using that deep, low, tone in a hum and in communication in cooing with her and when she is breathing or her voice is coming up helping her to sound off that low oh 
as opposed to ha, 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 right? I don't know about you, but ha, ha is a really high pitch and it creates a in an uptake of my energy as opposed to Whoa. Yeah. Do you remember, Mark? Yeah, do you, you remember? But do you remember though when I was in labor the second time? The first time I was really great at yep. at managing everything. The second time, if you remember, any time that I did start getting higher pitched, I had the best midwives in the freaking world. I'm telling you. But they would mm-hmm. just remind me to come back down, and like they were very, very focused on like not letting me, you know, scream or make these loud, like high pitch noises. It was always like low tones. And I I don't know if you remember that. That was something they were really focused on because the second, my second labor was super intense and I Mm -hmm. wasn't as great at managing it as I was the first time. So that was something they focused on was keeping my, my voice low and the sounds low and not, you know. Right. So what else did I miss? Like, not that that wasn't big. That was kind of big. But what else did I miss? Yeah. So another is dads need to have the space in the process of labor and delivery to take care of themselves. And when they, because the natural instinct of the typical male is to want to fix it, it can increase their cortisol levels and get them in that I've got to fix it mode. But because they can't, do anything, there is a natural frustration that occurs. So dads have to be supported too. The work as a doula working in labor and delivery, I focused on making sure that dad was the primary support. And I was the little bird whispering in his ear to step in and do the tasks that the doula uh, would do independent of dad. And yeah. so I allowed for the father to be the primary attendant and and I was the bird on their shoulder and I supported them in supporting their their spouse and in helping them so they received touch they received nourishment and and my attunement to dad the more grounded and present dad is in the labor process the more the mother feels fully supported if dad's checked out, if dad's not present and tuned in, it reinforces a deep concern that many women have, which is, am I going to have to do this all by myself? If I'm doing it alone now, am I going to have to do this alone a month from now, six years from now, 12 years from now? It's, it's something that, that as a society, um, we are healing and it's very real in the in the psyche of of motherhood am i going to have to show up and do this on my own and the more connected the father is and attuned to their spouse um during labor we as women it's very difficult to articulate what we need especially when we're experiencing a very rapid onslaught of physical changes we experience them as pain and it's very difficult and we don't want to be touched and we do want to be touched and we don't want to hear noise and we do want to hear noise. We become so erratic for the dad that it can help push them towards that. I'm just hands off. I'm just going to go to my corner. 
so that I don't get yelled at. Yeah, I think it's definitely important to get the dad involved. And we didn't, we didn't have that experience though. And I think part of it being that Mark, because you are a massage therapist, maybe you are just more in tune with this kind of stuff because I was thinking back as Angela was speaking, my first labor, as I was trying to like get in the zone and practice some of my hypnobirthing techniques and whatever, you were there and you knew when to like leave me alone. You knew when to talk to me. You like, you were very hands-on both times. I think the second time again, because it was a little more intense. There was a little, a few moments where you kind of backed up. But again, I'm thinking about the other support people I had in the room. The first time the women there backed up and let you work. You know what I mean? Like they let you. The second time, if you recall, we had a student midwife in the room and I think she just wanted to get in there and, you know, do stuff. But I felt that she was taking over and doing stuff that Mm -hmm. should have been you. And that was, but I mean, we didn't have that experience where you were like not involved. So there's a couple other scenarios though, that just listening to this is making, is making me think about stuff. I'm a very private kind of guy. Like I, I, I liked the idea of a midwife, especially after being involved and seeing how it goes. I'm like, uh, I'm cool with this idea of a midwife. And it's a lot more stuff for me to do if I want to do than compared to if we didn't have a midwife. I wouldn't be able to do a fucking thing. Yeah. Right? <laughs> I'd be sitting in the corner outside somewhere. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but anyway, which way. But I'm also a really, really private guy. And... I was able to get in the moment, but I also was not fully in the moment the way I think I would have liked to have been simply because I have all these other people around me. Now, I recognize that these other people have to be here, mm-hmm. right? So this is the weird thing. But I also feel like I'm I'm not, because Amanda, you know, you know me when other people around, I don't... I don't I don't just let it all down and be me like no. full on this is vulnerable expose me. I don't do that. No. And especially when there's other people of like authority around or you know, then it's even worse for me. I I close down even more. So I can always I can also imagine there's a whole bunch of people that are probably exactly like me. Maybe they want to participate but they don't know exactly how or even if they knew how they feel like mm, it's a, I don't feel comfortable displaying. Like I can't in other words in other words I I couldn't I couldn't I I did at moments, but I couldn't have as much as I wanted to get lost in the moment and feel like there was no one else there and everyone else that was looking was looking from outside of a freaking fishbowl. Do you know what I mean? Yeah. I, did, I, I didn't really have that feeling. Maybe it happened a couple times the whole way, but I was always very aware that there's people around me. They're watching this, even though they're not paying attention to me or anything going on, but it's in my mind like they're they're watching me or they uh, they see how I'm interacting with my family and my wife and it's it's kind of building a little bit of anxiety with me i don't know why there's absolutely no reason why I, i'm just i'm gonna put i down definitely the i definitely Do you know what i'm talking about though? i know what you're talking about because i know you i definitely didn't feel that the first time like i did feel like you were super involved the entire time um the second time maybe because there were more people in the space and as i said the student um yeah, you know, she's there to learn and whatever. But I did feel like she was sort of taking over. Like, for example, I had very bad back labor that second time. And she just comes over and starts massaging my back. I'm like, pardon me, my husband, who's a massage therapist is right there. Like, why are you doing this? Why are you touching me? But yeah, so I do I do understand what you're saying. So uh, you guys, you both have some what I call um, body stories surrounding birth, and you would benefit from having some time to just set aside with each other and, and go and share your experiences because those stories are, are lingering in, in the tissue. And this is where more of my work 
work that I do now comes in. But the, the work as a labor and delivery doula for me was very specialized. I was working specifically with families coming from sexual and physical abuse. Very, very particular. I wasn't just in general. I was, I was working specifically with women who had major trauma in their bodies. And my work was highly focused on building uh, trust in these women with their partners and helping these partners to learn how to communicate in a nonverbal way, how to listen to the energy of that mama's body and how to pick up so that dads had the ability to trust themselves and their own intuition when it came to the care and nurturing of their spouses while also honoring themselves. So you both had an amazing experiences with the two kiddos that you've had. Uh, it sounds very, very different. And my work was so focused on dad has to be primary. We have partners because they're there to help push our buttons for our healing. And I really focused on making sure that dads were primary and I didn't do anything unless dad was okay with me stepping in or if mom specifically wanted the energy that I provide with them specifically. The work is like, Mark, you asked, you know, what were you missing? I, I can't say that you were missing anything. There are no accidents to the experiences that you guys had. Everything happened absolutely perfect. And the experiences occurred just the way that they were meant to. It's what you choose to create from it now as you look back to help you understand what it is that you want to create from it for yourselves. I'm looking at Mark and he's like, hmm, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what to do with that information. We'll have to mull that over later. <laughs> but I did want to say Absolutely. before we move on to the death, because I have a question about um, what you, you know, in your introduction, talking about the families who wanted you to do for them what you did at the beginning of life, at the end of life. But before I get into that, mm -hmm. I will say I did do a course um, to become a birth doula and I attended one birth in 2019 prior. And then, you know, my intent was that I would start looking at this to add to my practice in 2020 and then COVID hit and I just kind of threw it away. Um, it'll come back eventually. But the one birth I did attend, that was actually something that just I wanted to do as well was really get dad involved because mm -hmm. the poor guy, he looked helpless. Like he looked like, I don't know what yeah. to do. I don't. So I was trying to, as you said, just sort of be like this voice in his ear, like trying to get him involved and do stuff. So it was mainly him that was hands-on, but there was a point she had a 13 hour labor and it was like overnight. So she hadn't slept in two days, which meant he hadn't slept in two days. And then she went into labor late evening on the third day. So um, by about, I don't know, I want to say three o'clock in the morning, dad looked like he wasn't going to make it through the night. And so yeah. I sort of talked to them and I said, right now, there's not a lot going on. She was probably like four centimeters dilated things were, you know, we were hanging out in triage in the hospital. And, um, mm -hmm. I said, there's not a lot going on and we're going to need you. And so I just said to her, 
what if he went into the other room and rested for a little bit and we'll get him back in here if you need him. And both of them were like more than happy with that. So he went in the other room, he took a nap and we just called him back in, you know, an hour and a half when it was like, okay, now things are like, something's happening. Things are progressing. We need you again. But just to Mm -hmm. get him out of there because he looked like he wasn't going to make it. And I was like, this is not what she needs to see either. Like his face looked like he was dying. I'm like, no, okay, we we can't have you here right now. So I just kind of stayed there and, you know, massaged her feet and did some reflexology and let him nap for 90 minutes. And it was perfect. That's exactly what I focused on. Um, uh, Specifically because of the work with people who were coming from major sexual and physical abuse, these people were dealing with big body trauma and the unknowns of, is this going to put me in PTSD? Is the pain of this going to send me into a space where I don't get to be able to enjoy my body opening and bringing this new life into the world? And most men and women that have sexual trauma in particular choose partners that are great at helping their partners heal. And I'm a really big believer in the power of our partners. And um, so for me, I really advocated the well-being of dad and helping him to be able to show up to the best of his ability. And when he reached a threshold of needing to tap out to be able to step in and and support dad, to give him permission to do that and to really honor his bandwidth and to act as a intermediary, recognizing, hey, dad, mom really needs you to, to, to step in and remind her that, that you're right here with her and that you guys are going to be okay. When it comes from dad as opposed to the people around her, um, especially with sexual trauma, um, it's very, very healing um, for a partner to reinforce that that mom's got everything she needs. And when she doesn't, she can borrow it from dad because they're partners. They're in this together. You hear that, Mark? We're in this together. <laughs> oh, we better. You got my fucking initials on your body. <laughs> <laughs> so what I what I wanted to ask you, Angela, when you were doing your intro and you, as I said, you mentioned that, you know, clients started to ask you specifically to do for them at the end of their life what you were doing at the beginning. Um, yeah. Explain to me what, like, I don't even, as I said, I didn't even know this work existed as a death doula like what is it that you do Uh who are you focusing on who are you supporting what what kinds of things are what kinds of yeah what kinds of things are you offering these families when you know somebody is at the end of their life so again because my focus is on people that have suffered tremendous trauma they're wandering around with ptsd they're not able to fully integrate their body and their mind and their soul. And so my work is very specific. I'm not just a death doula for someone who's done tons of work and they've got a great support system. I'm the death doula for the individual who's walking around tremendously wounded. They're terrified to leave. They feel a tremendous amount of obligation 
that they can't leave because there's not closure or they're not able to leave or support that that spouse that is leaving. Um, the the client that hired me to assist with his wife's passing knew that they needed to create closure. He, he wanted to bring her peace, yet he was incredibly wounded. And he had a very hard time taking care of her. He had a lot of resentment. There was a betrayal. Um, and the information of that betrayal came out right before her disease process created the inability for her to be able to have conversation. And so he was a client of mine struggling tremendously with, I can't even ask her questions because she's no longer able to communicate. She could blink, but her ability to communicate was no longer available. And he wanted to show up and find a place of peace so that he could show up fully in honor of what was left of the life that she had bring the family together, give them the ability to communicate and say their piece in a situation where they weren't going to receive back. But because of my gifts, I can, I can help support this woman who's dying. I was able to understand her yeses and nos. I could feel the energy from her that helped to create clarity for the family and closure. This is where that woo-woo stuff can come in. And it's that clairvoyance. It's the being able to talk to one another telepathically um, and trusting that what I was receiving was very much not mine or my projection and creating a communication um, through touch um, in particular with this woman who's um, dealing with severe scleroderma uh, and um, and has lost the ability to communicate. Her voice box was hit. So the work was through touch, being able to enter into the space and provide physical touch that allowed for relief that allowed for this woman in a state of relief to be able to communicate with yeses and nos, to be able to ask her questions uh, based on the information that was coming to me from that telepathic place, as well as, um, I don't know all of the different terms. Um, I've really not put a lot into learning about what it is I'm doing. I'm so actively engaged in reinforcing what I'm doing to make sure that it's genuine and serving of my client. So I can feel when uh, I come into space and, and a client gives consent, I can feel trauma and that feeling can come through auditory so I can hear um, past stories. So I can hear, sometimes it'll play out like, um, I'll hear the screeching of tires. I'll feel my body go through the motions of what feels like uh, the car rolling several times. 
I'll feel my body get bumped and like bent and put into the position of uh, the way that their body got hit and knocked. Um, sometimes I can feel uh, and hear and taste and smell. I can taste blood. I can smell smoke. But the reality of things is that I'm sitting at their bedside. But they're telling me a story. We're communicating and they're talking with me in a way that allows for them to feel seen and heard and their story witnessed without me trying to fix it or cast any judgment. And this allows for me to act as translator. So when I'm working with the dying, I am asking, constantly asking, clarifying, do I understand correctly? Does this make sense to you? Um, are, are you feeling pain here? And I allow my hands to move to those places and I feel the energy of that space. I wish that I had a better way to articulate what occurs, except that I act as translator to the stories of the body. There are a lot of massage therapists that get that. I think you articulated it perfectly, actually, because there isn't a way for anyone who doesn't um, do energy work or, uh, you know, isn't able to tap into these kinds of gifts. You know, like people hear you say something like, you know, we have telepathic communication. Unless you're somebody that has the ability to tap into that and do it, it doesn't make sense to you. Like it's never going to fully make sense to me because this isn't something I do, or at least it's not something I do now. I I, I don't know. But I've got to say, you're not just... (laughs) You're not just uh, the friendly neighborhood death doula. Like this is not what most death doulas do because you have these other these other abilities that you're able to use to do this work, which, you know, not not everybody could do. So this is uh, how like how your clients that have asked you to do this for you, is it like, is it pretty widely known with the people you do body work with that you have these gifts and abilities? Um, Do you market yourself this way or do people find you? Like, how do you end up getting these clients who have suffered such major traumas that want you to assist them at the end of their life? Uh, People with PTSD and wounded tend to vibrationally attract other people who share in similar stories. We do it all the time. Um, So it's word of mouth. And uh, a lot of people will say that I'm like a body whisperer because my hands will, will tap in once they've given consent. And I feel, hear, experience their stories. Um, The work that I do for the most part now, is all about everything that makes me who I am today is based on a story. And stories don't have to be real or full of truth. And the ones that stop serving us are usually the ones that recognize me and start communicating. So someone coming in just to receive body work, um, they've, they're suffering from migraines. Well, Louise Hayes did a really good job of helping people to start recognizing that most ailments, most of our illnesses are rooted in 
a story that we are actively in the background, conscious or unconscious, playing out like a record. And I have, um, I resisted it. And, and I grew up being told that my ability to do that was um, the devil's handiwork. And I needed to um, make sure that I was at church regularly and that I prayed regularly and steer clear of all new age or metaphysical things. Um, and that that was wrong and bad. So I've spent so much time in resistance to it that when my life created the circumstances that made it so that I literally could not resist it. And it in, in very much, um, a dam broke in my reality and it rushed in and all that I'd been in resistance to, I'd been, I'd been doing, but I could not articulate. And I certainly did not feel safe to tell people how I was suddenly just knowing information about them. I'm going to say something because someone's going to listen to this and say, Mark, why didn't you fucking say something? But I'm going to present the other side of this. And I want to know your response to this because I'm more than certain, actually maybe not, but I'd be surprised if you haven't had this type of response that I'm going to spit out towards you. The other response to this is, you're a fucking hack. That's the other side of it is you're a hack. You're, you're making shit up. You're, you're taking advantage of vulnerable people in these moments and you're communicating things that no one else can see or hear because you're the only one that can see or hear this stuff and you're feeding into that vulnerability. You're taking advantage of that vulnerability. This is the other side of what I can imagine someone saying and I would love to hear how you'd respond to that type of, of kind of blowback to the work that you do. You know what? I'm so glad that you did say something because there isn't a day that goes by that I don't argue in my own head with why do, 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 do these um, stories, why is it that they insist on showing up? Am I, uh, because I am very, very sensitive to the power of suggestion and I don't want to plant trauma. So I, in every session I'm in a constant state of arguing inside my own head with the information I'm weighing it against, does this serve this person to their highest good? Does this cause harm or does this create clarity? I weigh everything very carefully. I also do not, um, I have really strong boundaries. After being, after living it and not understanding it for so much of my life and realizing what it creates, it's, a, it's easy to make it a manipulation. You are absolutely right. Every fiber of my being is about assisting people that are ready to look at their not working stories, otherwise known as triggers, and consider that they already have the answers to solving it. But because they're not willing to listen to their intuition, 
most of the time because they've been told not to trust or they've experienced enough situations in their life not to trust their intuition. All of my work is about the story being very generalized. On occasion, I will absolutely 100% experience that car accident. And I will ask them only enough information to make sure that they are in consent to the information. Because again, I'm always focused on their conscious consent. If they're not open or they don't want to know, I don't want to know either. So I have really strong boundaries that keep me safe, that keep them safe. And I have um, the validation of thousands and thousands of clients who, who have edified what comes through as um, appropriate. Not always do the stories come through in particular to their exact life. Sometimes it's like an archetype. Um, you guys familiar with um, Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory? Of course we are. The movie? Of course. Most people are. So a lot of the time it's um, what will come through is like Veruca from Willy Wonka. Daddy, I want it now. Right? You remember her? Yeah. Yeah. So that personality may come up and they may want to say something that that archetype within them and i will say are you familiar with veruca and they'll usually they'll chuckle or they'll be like mm-hmm. and i'll say something like you have a veruca in your life are you open to a suggestion a request and they get to say yes or no and then the veruca or that higher sense of their self may say, hey, the next time Veruca shows up and you recognize that that person is that Veruca, whether in yourself or in this exchange with this other person, can you just do me a favor and take a five-minute timeout? Walk away, like literally remove yourself from the room, go for a walk, listen to a cool song on your, on your phone, but take a break and then return and act accordingly. I'm not. Uh, I'm not about to plant in someone's head something that is not theirs. And I, and I, I don't fish um, because all of that, my mother was the victim of um, stories being planted and the consequences of that were far reaching and they went far into my own life. So I'm very, very sensitive to how easy it would be to see any of what I do as a, a nut job. Absolutely. I wonder every day, am I insane? I don't know how you wouldn't, have, like I like I said, I, it won't make sense to me because I don't have the ability to tap into these types of gifts. Like it, 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 it won't make sense to me, but I can imagine because right. I was, as you were speaking, I was thinking, how the hell do you take care of yourself? How do you not go home and like lose your freaking mind? Because as you're saying this, I'm like getting goosebumps thinking like you can like feel people's experiences. You can taste things. You can hear things. You can smell things like this sounds. Yeah, you sound crazy. But right. how do you go home and be like, 
you know, just Angela at home, like how you do don't. you how do you take is care my, of yourself? Is my guess is you don't is my guess would be is you live life like a fucking different person. That that's that's it. Like your your life ain't like my life ain't one fucking bit. That's what I would imagine the answer to be. Mark, I think you'd be surprised at at the way that I live my life. And you can you can definitely visit with with Eric um about because he knows me personally and um and he's been the recipient of the work that I do. No, I just mean like how Amanda was saying, like I can imagine how that would be a struggle to to just live like that, right? To to be able to take everything, bring everything with you. And so Amanda's right. kind of saying like, well, what is your life like? And I imagine like your life's probably not like mine. Like I'm low key. I don't really, th- you know, things don't bother me. I don't get haunted by stuff. Right. You know, I just go about my day and do my stuff. And generally I keep my head down. So life for me is pretty simple. Yeah. Meaning, your life must be like really fucking complex, kind of like a never ending wheel of stuff where like, fuck, at the end of the day, I smoke a joint, my wheel stops. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> but so, I so, love so, it. So when I, I say, love it. so when I say that like your life is probably ain't nothing like mine, that's all I mean where, where you don't, right? if I feel like you don't have an off switch because you can't, you can't, if you, like, you just don't have one. I don't know. That's that's this at is, least what I. This is you're absolutely right, and I have learned. So the majority of the reason that I do the work I do is because I'm all about self care. My own personal experience is I have thrown myself under the bus, been bombarded, had no boundaries for so long that it damn near killed me. And I'm not and I'm not exaggerating that I lost my sight, I lost my health. I lost my husband, my car, my business. I lost my house. I lost everything because I did not know how to manage the life in general. It wasn't just the onslaught of any intuitive stuff. I've always been able to, I learned how to suppress that real fast. And when you're a little kid and you start talking out loud and you're looking at a corner and you're talking to, um, and I'm talking to something, I, I had my butt beat a lot because the things I did scared people. And I, I learned how to, I learned how to shut that down. When did you fucking learn that you have this, this, this skill, this gift, this whatever? Like, I'll, I'll give you an example. Cause like, I have a buddy yeah. who's got synesthesia. Synesthesia is where your senses are all fucked up. Right. And so he'll, he'll he hear sees, sounds and he'll he see colors based on colors sounds. Based on the sounds and yeah. sometimes yeah. Like, he'll taste things depending if he's in pain or whatever the case is. And he told me when he was on the podcast, but he was like, because he's a kid he's like I thought fucking everyone was like that I thought that was just life right, right? Mm-hmm. and he he's told like me, I thought everybody would see blue when much. they heard this well, sound well, yeah so it didn't hit him mm-hmm. until he was like seven or eight years old like whoa people don't this is di- I'm different than most people people don't yeah. have this when did this happen to you when did you realize fuck man um I'm experiencing the world really different than everyone else my age um I think that I was talking to my mom and to animals without talking and engaging with anyone who would, who I could engage with, um, really early. And at three, there was, um, a sexual trauma. And I learned at that point that, um, I needed to suppress and hide all of that weird stuff because I, I said something at three about them to 
other individuals. And, um, and I, I spoke their secret that no one should have known. And they targeted me. And I realized at that point that there was something that clearly that I was doing that was unique. And I have, I'm a Leo. I feel my value. I know intrinsically that I have value. Now I struggle with feeling worthy, but I, I, I always felt like I had a right to this life. So I received their, the punishment and, and internalized it and said, okay, this piece of me is, is not everyone else's. And, um, it was reinforced. My mother, um, uh, didn't have the best picker when it came to partners. And, um, I was very quickly able to start recognizing who was safe and who wasn't. And I, that was the only thing that I gave myself permission to really trust. This person is safe. Um, and, and they are actively living out a story that is in alignment with their soul purpose. So there was, there was an alignment. There was a consistency between their behavior and what I could see of the, I don't know how to describe it, but the truth of them. Um, I don't know how to articulate that. It, I mean, I think it's pretty, it, I understand what you're saying. It seems pretty clear. It's just, it's blowing yeah. my mind a little bit because everybody has intuition and everybody has gut feelings yes. about things. And like you said, sometimes we just suppress them. We ignore them. People don't always trust what they're feeling. Um, but in your case, like what you were feeling was by the sounds of it, like something you couldn't ignore, couldn't suppress. Even at three years old, you just had this feeling that you're like, no, no, I know this is, this is what's happening. This is who this person is. This is, and that is incredible to me to think that and I always have thought and I I mean I don't have any basis for this but I've always felt like most children probably are very intuitive and probably do have these feelings and like we really should totally. trust them a lot more than we really do and it is yes. probably that a lot of us grew up not trusting our intuition and you know suppressing all this stuff because like you said this is what we learn when we're kids like right. you say something right. you feel something and nobody takes you seriously because you're a kid right or you say something that no one else it's it's like ooh you just you just exposed a secret we don't talk about those things we don't we don't put those things out in the public i um it's not appropriate and it gets shut down mm. um and and i learned firsthand through physical experience that what i what i would see so let's see one of my one of the men that my mother brought home um, I didn't like him from the moment he walked in the door, it felt like tar. You ever, you ever go to the beach and, and get tar on your feet or walk and get tar on the bottom of your shoe or gum on the bottom of your shoe on a hot day. Yeah, yeah And it's yeah. that sticky pulling sensation. So I had this sticky pulling sensation in my body and I felt very unsafe. I just had an intuitive sense that I was not safe. And my reaction at 
four and five years of age was to cry and hide behind my mom and be very clingy. And I did not feel safe. And the only way that I could see to be safe was to use her as a barrier. Well, it wasn't very long with that kind of behavior day in and day out that at the at, at one of the first opportunities where he was taking care of me, he took action to punish me because my behavior was a reflection of the alarm system in me saying, he's not safe. I can't trust him and he's not safe for mom and he's not safe for me. And he proved my intuition accurate because of the behaviors and the, and the physical experience that I gained. It reinforced that internal sense of, I, I have to just trust that when I feel those feelings, I'm right. I work with a lot of massage therapists. They come in because they they will come to me and say, oh my God, I had I had a client on the table and I started having this experience that I've never, I've never been to the lake and I've never, I've never played in the snow, but I was at a lake in the snow and my brain was overwhelmed with this experience. And I finally was like, do are you do you have any memories about a lake and snow? And and then the client will validate. And then the, the massage therapist is like freaked out. And where the hell did that come from? How did that happen? Um, a lot of massage therapists will get a feeling. They'll be working on someone and they'll suddenly get this hitch in their own hip. And they'll intuitively put their hand on their client's hip and start working. And the client will say something like, oh my God, how did you know? Mm-hmm. We have it. We all have it. My life just happened to be one experience after another that reinforced building the trust of my intuition. I was in denial of it and I hid it because I I had all of these religious stories um, and to survive growing up in the family that I I did, um, I, I, I did what I could to suppress it as much as possible. But um, there comes a point that I, I couldn't suppress it any longer. So my work, like you said, Mark, there are people who could easily listen to any one of my stories and, and say, I'm a nut job. And, and I would not argue with them in the fact that when, when I'm working on a client and I hear very clearly, I need you to say this verbatim with attitude you insufferable bitch. Excuse me? <laughs> uh, you want me to say that? And I hear this dialogue in my own head. So could I be crazy? Absolutely, you guys. Absolutely. I wonder all the time. Now, I have learned through experience and thousands of, of experiences with clients, I absolutely have learned to trust that that information has some sort a very powerful value. So I asked the client, are you open to receive information? I haven't heard this statement yet. All I know is that the body has something to say. I ask, are you open? If they say no, we move on. If they say yes, then the body 
then unfolds whatever the story is or the communication. And I literally had an internal statement. I need you to say verbatim with this tone, you insufferable bitch. Now, I would not ever speak to anyone. If anyone that knows me would know that I don't communicate that way, uh, not even when I'm hot angry. And I said it because she had given consent. And her first response was to chuckle. And then she started to weep. And I held that space. And there wasn't anything left to say. The, The internal communication within my own head got very quiet. And about five minutes later, she said, I hear those words in that tone in my head every single time I pass a photograph of my son and my daughter-in-law. It's her voice. And she doesn't approve of me verbatim with that tone. So that's just one of, of 26 years of experiences where I don't know how to articulate it. And Mark, sometimes I think it would be easier if I were crazy. I've had to learn how to have really strong boundaries. My self-care is my full-time job. I literally put hours a day into taking care of me, making sure that one, I'm not wandering around carrying other people's crap inside of me. And two, I'm not projecting any of my crap or other people's crap into them. Can you turn it off when you want to turn it off? Or you can't. I imagine you can't. You know what? I used to not be able to. And I had zero ability to say, "Mm -mm, you guys don't get to talk to me. Just like people who have passed will enter into sessions with me sometimes. Not very often, but it does happen. And yes, it used to be very much a bombardment. I couldn't stop it. I I definitely um, had to pretend like I was normal, but I was being bombarded all the time. Now, I have learned how to turn it off. I've learned how to create the kind of boundaries that allow for me to be normal and to not be bombarded with it. Did you learn how to do that by yourself or or you you, you got help with that? I had to teach myself. You taught yourself? I had to teach myself. I mean, and, and it's, it's, so it's, it's not just on my own. My personality is I'll, I'll invent my own wheel. That's my personality. So, um, I love to read. Um, so I stumble across books. Um, it's almost like, it's almost like a light is shining on certain books. And, uh, and I know that that's a book that I'm supposed to read. It's, there's tools in it for me. Um, and, and I, I have just, a tool is presented and I give it a try and I try it a million different ways. And if it continues to not work, then I, I don't use it. And if it does work, then I add it to my repertoire of tools for my self-care and having really strong boundaries. Boundaries is a big deal for me because of all of the trauma work. Um, and, and it's like one of my number one priorities. So uh, I don't let my clients railroad themselves and I refuse to railroad me uh, to the best of my ability. If I'm consciously connected in, 
I do not throw me under the bus because I know um, the kind of damage that that creates long-term. I felt it in my body. I've lived it. Yeah, I can imagine boundaries would have to be top priority to you, as you said, because if you are constantly being bombarded with other people's stories, I mean, it's great that you learned how to turn it off, but it's obviously still something that's part of your daily life and working with people and working with clients and not being able to um, set boundaries and protect yourself. You would like you'd go from am I crazy to actually being crazy? Like you have to turn it off or you will legitimately be crazy. Um, And as I said, I'm just saying this based on nothing because to me, this is all like, I hear people talk about this and it's now I'm going to sound crazy. When I hear this, I'm like, I wonder if I could do this. Like, what am I suppressing? That's not a lot. Like I've, we've had other people on who are really in tune with energy. We've had other people on who feel things or who know things or who do, you know, all different types of work. And whenever I hear it, I'm like, could I do this? Like, do I have this ability? Honestly, what am I ignoring? This is why. <laughs> this is why none of this seems like jive to me. Like, I, I, maybe I'm a, maybe I'm a weirdo, but I can buy into any of this stuff. And the way I think of it is, is like, I can never come up with any of this. It's like, even in my best imagination, right. I can't make this shit up. So if you're just saying this and this is your life, like, I I I take you at face value. To be honest with you, well, even just that yeah. one story, and like she said, she's got what twenty some odd years of this like this one story of the woman who hears you insufferable bitch every time she sees her daughter-in-law like how on earth would Angela know that that obviously wasn't information that she just gave you right so whenever I hear stuff like that you know from other people I know who have these certain abilities like I you know I have a friend who like you know what you were saying you can't articulate what you do she the way she described it to me she was like I don't know how uh, how better to say it other than like I just feel things like things just appear to me and I just mm-hmm. feel them and I know them. And I was like, what do you mean you know them? She's like, when certain things come to me, she's like, there's like a, a point of which I just know that 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 is real. Like that, like I, it's just suddenly it becomes something I know. It's not like an imagination. It's not something I just thought of. It's like these things come to me and it's like, oh, now I know this. And I was like, yes. that's like wild to me. Like I can't imagine what that feels like where you meet somebody that you don't know and then suddenly you know something about them and there's been no verbal communication whatsoever. I'm like, I don't, I don't know what to say about that, but it's like Mark said, I, it's not something I would ever just dismiss. I wouldn't be the person saying, okay, you're a Looney Tune because I, I, there's obviously people who have abilities far beyond what science can teach us. You know, there's always going to be the people who are like, this doesn't make any sense. What evidence do you have? Yeah. I'm like, well, I'm sorry. She has the evidence of knowing something about somebody she just met. So I like, I don't know right. what else to say about that. That's right. It seems really cool, but I can also imagine it being just like you and Mark were talking about just such a burden sometimes where you have to really be strong and knowing how to not carry around other people's shit. Yes. And you know, I'm, I'm a, I'm one of those early adopters. If it's not working, if I have to, if I'm in resistance with it, then it's not meant to be. And I'm quick to drop the things that do not work. So when it comes to going through learning all of this and, and like as a death doula working with clients, um, it was all, it's all through trial and error. Um, when I have a client that is like, 
um, you got online and you looked me up. Um, and, and I intentionally have established boundaries that make it very clear. Uh, I won't do that. Um, and I don't want to know any information about them because I want whatever does come through to be completely organic. So when they come in, I take their basic health intake. I find out if they've got new tattoos, any injuries, sunburns, major surgeries, but I don't need the details. I don't need any of their stories. I trust that their body that keeps the score and holds all those stories is going to bring to me whatever it feels is going to be the most, the highest value to bring out and translate so that that specific client can take action in an area that is not serving them any longer. So a lot of the time it's, it's clients on the table and they're hitting a proverbial wall with, with one of their kids and, and, and the body will come through with, um, some information, you know, uh, your, your kiddo, uh, instead of reacting this way, um, your body is asking that you do this instead. Is that reasonable to you? And then they get to be the ones to decide. Now, I encourage my clients to record their sessions so that they can pick and choose. If it if it is an alignment, use it. If it's not an alignment, let it go. Like I said, there's always been resistance because of the fear of being seen as crazy. Mm-hmm. So I live with that internal voice all the time. And the last six years of my life, I surrendered. I completely surrendered to all that I have been doing my whole life, but it was in resistance to. I completely embraced it. And what has happened has been mind blowing. I'm surrounded by the family and the friends that I always longed to have in my life, but could never understand why I was always so lonely. I have health that I could never come to. I have a relationship that I'd daydreamed about my whole life. Um, My kids, they're all thriving in ways that I never could have imagined. And and I'm not going to take all of the responsibility that I did that because I trusted. No, but it changed me. And in changing me, it created an authentic me. And in doing that, it inspired those around me. And it was like a magnet to the people that create that that wanted the same level of authenticity. And I suddenly my practice exploded. I had, I was going, I was like in my resistance, I was seeing 10, 11 clients a week. When I stopped resisting, I went from 10, 11 to a wait list. And, and I physically only do four, four at most in a day and I'll work three days. And then I've, the rest of the time I have to take care of myself. Hmm. Um, but I, I, I literally went from struggle bust to abundance and my life is the continual testament that even if I am crazy, 
it's working for me because I know peace. I know peace every night when I go to bed and every morning when I wake up, I'm so grateful to have been given another day to live this life that is so magical because I can't make any of this up. You're a unicorn. But what I like about what you what you just said is, you know, when you stopped resisting and you just became very authentic, your practice blew up and things blew up. Like I'm constantly preaching that to people and and you know, in some of the business courses and stuff we teach is like just be you because there are people who are aligned with you and you will attract the people you want to work with and you'll love working and you'll become that person for all those people that are just like that, who think the way you do, who want the type of of therapy that you offer. And, you know, there's no way, there's no one way to be successful in your career. It's if you are doing things very authentically, you're going to build a practice that makes sense for you and you're going to be busy. And that's exactly what you did. And even if it's, um, if you are the crazy lady, guess what? There's a whole bunch of crazy people that want to come be crazy with you. (laughs) So it's working for you. Like you said, you're happy. And, you know, I know this is a little like off topic, though, but I just wish people like were a little more open minded just to, you know, let people do things the way they want to do them. You know, there's so much arguing yes. about everything right now. Everything is a debate. Everything yes. is segregating. Everything, you know, is us versus them. Everything. Yeah. And, um, yeah. you know, I I overheard a conversation in a hair salon last week with these two people who were just fuming about all the anti-vaxxers and the COVID deniers and blah, yeah. blah, blah. And, you know, they're going back and forth and they're fuming angry. And I'm just listening. I'm not interjecting anything. And, mm-hmm. you know, one of them said, oh, can you believe the people who are not going to get the vaccine because they believe that they're um, being injected with some kind of tracking device? Don't they know that um, we're already being tracked and blah, blah, blah. And I was like, I would just want to say to them, and I didn't, but I just wanted to say to them, so what if the reason that someone doesn't want to get the vaccine is they think they're being injected with a tracking device? If they get it and that's what they truly believe, they're going to go crazy and they're never going to sleep again. Yeah. And if that's the reason they're not right. doing it, can't we just be like, okay, that's the reason you're not doing it. Like, why is it such a, everything has to be, well, you should think this way. Well, just everybody chill right. out. You know, if somebody wants to be crazy, let them be crazy. Well, this is, this is part of that personal responsibility. I preach and practice personal responsibility. I practice Ho'oponopono. I practice the the law of attraction and the laws of reciprocity i practice them every day i practice every day that there are no accidents and everything happens for a reason and there is value in everything and i'm the one that gets to decide what the value is and when you when you mention you know this this it's either right or wrong there's there's a right way and a wrong way right now in our and all across the globe i think um, very few communities of, of people are in a neutral place. Everyone, if they take personal responsibility and step into taking care of themselves, can resolve this immediately. Go out and take care of your immune system. Go out and do the exercise. Go out and support the person who's struggling or their immune system is, is challenged and and be a champion for them by empowering them and encouraging them to take care of themselves to learn about their bodies to understand how their their actions their choices impact 
their body's ability to be able to contend with whatever comes their way. Because we're always going to have some big thing. Oh, there was some Facebook thing that passed my husband's page and he started chuckling and he said, he like listed off from like 2001, uh, the world was going to come to an end or 2000, the world was going to come to end to an end because of the computers and the calendar. And then it listed every year after that, there was something, there was SARS and there was mad cow and there was et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Well, if everyone's so afraid of a health crisis, then wouldn't it be prudent for all of us to dive into understanding how to take the best care of these vehicles, our bodies? Well, that's too logical. And improve. What do you, what do you do with talking logic? <laughs> that is far too so, logical. So for, for me, this whole thing is like watching a circus of everybody passing the personal responsibility. Those that get angry um, for the and want to defend the, the high-risk population. I personally am a part of the high-risk population. I'm a type 1 diabetic. And I have a handful of other autoimmune issues. Again, my inability to have good boundaries for those first 20 years of practice burned me out. And my pancreas quit. And I have all kinds of other things that I navigate every day. And I recognize and, and believe that it's in whole part because I wouldn't take, I didn't, I didn't know how to take care of this body. I didn't know how to have good boundaries and set limits and parameters and not run to the sweet sugary tea and the donut. Thank you very much. Uh, when I was stressed or hurt or whatever it was. Uh, I didn't have an understanding um, and and watching everything going on in the world from afar. Uh, you know, I, Mark, I do live in my own little world and I like it that way because my little world makes a heck of a lot more sense than the craziness that I see when I look out. So many people are actively playing the character of the worst version of themselves right now. They're living in a state of fear. They're coming from a place of somebody has to be right. Somebody has to be wrong. There's only one winner in the game and everything else is a loser. And that judgment and uh, there's no peace in that. There's yeah. no great night's sleep in that. There's no sense of, I can't wait to wake up and have another day. There's no drive within that kind of reality where I really want to dive into the nitty gritty and the nooks and crannies of improving my relationship with my husband or being the best version of me as a mom raising my kids. So I get to just sit as a victim and blame the rest of the world for my misery when the truth is, is that I'm personally responsible. And if I'm not happy, that's on me. So the work that I do is about helping people. Yeah, that's all my work. So when, when these stories come up and some of this really crazy stuff happens, the people that are coming to me are coming in saying, I've got some strange unconscious triggers and it's not working for me anymore. My behaviors are no longer serving me and I want to have a better understanding of exactly what's happening. Where is it coming from and what could I do different? And the body will answer. That's the mind-blowing thing is that if you ask the body, 
the body will answer you. And all I'm doing is reinforcing their own intuition because most of the time when I ask and I give them the answer, they will edify it with, I had a feeling. I knew that. I've known that. I've just not, I've just, because it takes too much of my time or because I can't, I don't know how to get there. I just dismissed it, right? I can't trust my intuition. I've got the whole world telling me, don't trust your gut. Don't listen to yourself. So if I'm crazy, Mark, um, then I don't want to be any other way. Yeah, seriously. I, I'd much rather be uh, living on the crazy train. If that's, if that's, if that's crazy versus non-crazy, I'd rather not be the person yeah. sitting at home blaming the world for my misery. I do have a question off topic, but not off topic, but off topic, yeah. but on topic, but on topic, however you want to call it topic. Because I want your opinion on this because you know, okay. you know things that I don't know. You see the world in a much different way than I do. What do okay. you think... Of assisted suicide. There's a reason I never went into hospice, and it's because I very clearly recognized that I would be one of those death angels. I would end up in jail because I would be like, oh, you want that morphine patch? The doctor said you can have two every few hours. Let's give you five. Hmm. (laughs) I am not against people choosing to leave. When we leave, no matter how we leave, our soul's purpose came to its completion. It's never going to make sense to anybody outside of that individual, whether they're two or a week or 50 or whatever the age, whatever the circumstances. I come from enough experience to understand that none of us have anything happen in our lives by accident. Everything has a purpose. What we choose to create from it is where our power is. We are in these human bodies for a reason. And 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 when we look at like Judeo-Christian, the Bible, Jesus says, you and I are the same. I am the father. And since it's difficult for you to receive the statement that if you and I are the same and my father and I are the same, if you can't make the leap, then fine. Just make the leap because it's easier for you to make the leap to seeking me. Great. Use me. Uh, I'll, I'll hold that space for you. It gets you that much closer. No problem. And oh, that's funny. I'm not supposed to say anymore. Moving on. (laughs) Uh, We actually, I thought we lost your audio for a second when you went quiet and we both just stared at each other like, did we lose her? Is she gone? No, we're just, we're done with that. Nope. Yeah. I'm not supposed to say anymore. I think I, I think I'm, I think that that was, that was, I'm not supposed to say anymore. So um, again, I am constantly getting feedback like internally and physically. And we all do. It's just how much are you willing to trust that feedback? And you know how you had said, could I ever do that? Yes. Yes, you can. All of us can. The only reason that I'm so good at it is because everything that has made me me has has driven me much of my life without me being able to just consciously own it. 
it's 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 the bumper rails of my life experiences have brought me here and have continued to reinforce that which I have come to understand as my reality mm-hmm. and how my reality impacts those around me. Yeah, and as you said, everything is happening in the way it's supposed to happen. That's something that when I was younger, I used to actually call BS on that saying, you know, when people would say everything happens for a reason, I would call BS on it because I didn't understand it. I thought that, you know, by saying everything happens for a reason that takes away people's um, freedom to choose and to, you know, like I I wasn't understanding what it meant. But as I got Mm -hmm. older, I realized, no, absolutely. Things happen the way they're supposed to happen. The opportunities are presented to you in the way that, yes, you have choice, but everything plays out the way it's supposed to play out. So, you know, I've come to a point where I can look at a, you know, objectively negative experience and realize, well, that was supposed to be there for whatever, whatever reason. And so when I ask, Mm -hmm. can I do that? Yes, I believe, like you said, that I probably could. But it's also am I supposed to be able to like, maybe there are people like you who are supposed to be doing this and helping other people and using your gifts for, you know, in your case, um, being a death doula, like now I feel like any other death doula we talk to, I'm going to be like, yeah, but can you, no, I'm just kidding. I wouldn't do that. <laughs> but can you Well, you know, I don't do a whole lot of death work. I don't do a lot of death doula work. Not any longer. Um, I had, I had about five years where that was all I did because I could do it uh, late at night uh, because I was, I was full-time stay at home mom trying to figure out how to find my son in the vaccine uh, fog that he was lost in. Mm-hmm. Um, so I work nights and people who are, who are elderly and dying or those that are dying no longer follow the whole uh, daytime is when you're awake and nighttime is when you go to sleep. Right. It doesn't work that way any longer. So it was really convenient for me to step into working as a death doula. And, um, you know, there's nothing more amazing than at 4am curling up, uh, under a blanket, looking up at the stars with a client and giving, and, and just holding this space that allows them to say all the things that they don't feel safe saying to anyone, because I do not hold judgments. I don't have a right or wrong in me. I have a moral compass of the highest good for all, but I don't have a personal judgment of if they, if they want to go, I want to give them permission to be able to express that. I think that a lot of suicide people would choose not to commit suicide if they were given permission to honestly talk about that they want to, that they want to leave, mm-hmm. sit down and have a real conversation with a 13 year old that's talking about suicide. And rather than create the resistance of, no, you don't want to do that. Well, okay. Well, what do you think it would create? What would that do for you? What do you imagine? But to neutralize it, to give them permission to have it, suddenly you've taken all of the the power out of it by holding it neutral. So a lot of my work now is working with people before they're on death's door and helping them to create that clarity 
so that when the time comes, they have fully expressed, honored, and lived their life as authentically as humanly possible. When you are doing body work and you are getting something off of somebody and you ask their consent, because you made it very clear, like, I don't do anything unless I have someone's permission to, and they they say, yes, I'm willing to receive whatever this is. Or do do you, my question is, what do you get more of? Yes, let me hear what's going on. I let me, I want to receive this. Or do you get, mm, fuck, no, no, thank you. What do you get more of? I'm always hoping for the no because people don't realize how powerful and how much love is in the word no. We railroad ourselves all day long, every day. We say yes when our heart really wants us to say no, when we, in, in lots of different ways. And my clients, their first visit with me, it's an hour of, of information up front. I go over how it works, um, the, the way, the scenario in which I've created in order to have the boundaries that make it so I don't know anything that that body has to say. I don't know any of their secrets unless my client has given consent. Um, uh, uh, anyone, they can call me. And they can be saying, hey, I've got this thing going on. I will always ask for consent. I will ask them, do you give permission to allow me to tap in? I don't want to know anything that their conscious mind is not ready to receive themselves. So when they say yes, no, curiosity gets most people. And I will tell them always, a no is a beautiful gift. The end result is still the same. Sometimes the story is not what matters. It's how we are reacting when we are triggered that is creating the problem. The story may continue to serve. Let's say I use this as an example all the time. Many of us have the story that we're terrible at math. You know anybody like that? Yeah, me. Okay. So me too. For a really long time, I struggled with math and I had a long, like my whole childhood education was a continuous bombardment of being told and receiving signals that say that validated, I am shitty at math and I should not do anything that, that puts me in a position where I should ever be trusted with money or numbers. Bad news, keep me away from that. And I have chosen in every step of my life, when an opportunity has come up, if it required that I have to do math, I did not take the opportunity because my story was so strong that my trigger to it, oh my God, that has to do with math, never mind. I didn't go to college for several years because I knew that I was going to have to take math classes. I missed out on a tremendous number of opportunities. I wanted to be a midwife. I didn't go to school. Again, I knew I was going to have to do math. The story, I'm not good with numbers, is there to serve as an invitation to ask, well, why do I think that? What do I want to believe that? Would I like to believe something different? And if I want to believe something different, what could I do that would help me so that that's no longer my truth. A client who's on the table, they've got a story that they're terrible at math and they want to be an entrepreneur. They've got an amazing business idea, but because they have the story that they're terrible at math, they've not 
taken the classes or reached out to the individuals because they know that they'll be required to do math. So they miss out on the opportunity to pursue the dream, the very thing that was planted in their heart to show up in this life and be and do and have. They've been in resistance to it. I recognize you've got a story that says that you've that, that you're terrible at math. I always most of the time the client will be like, how did you know that? I hate math. I'm terrified of it. I don't even like to balance my checkbook. I hire somebody to do it for me. Then I'll ask the body, what could they do now, this week, that would assist them in changing the reaction so that they can start challenging this story that says they're terrible at math? Most of the time, if the client does what the body has asked, they are rewarded immediately with an aha moment that says, I'm not terrible at math. Look at that. I actually figured that out. I balanced the checkbook. Well, I, don't I know. actually have I don't the capacity know. to do the thing. <laughs> I don't know. Now I'm skeptical. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> well, and it's sometimes, sometimes it's something as simple as um, if the story is I'm terrible at math, um, then at, but the but the sole purpose is to be the entrepreneur and open the business. Then it can be sometimes it can be as simple as rather than you believing that you have to be the one that knows the math, you need to reach out to an accountant who is in alignment with this vision of yours, and they will bring their genius to the area that you're lacking. Yep. That's exactly what I was going to say. I'm a huge fan of saying yeah. like, you don't need to be good at everything. Hire the guy. There's always That's a guy. Right. Just hire right. the guy. That's right. <laughs> and, and most of us, we have these trigger responses. We have reactions that we engage in. And then later we're like, I'm sorry for the way that I behaved when I was really hungry and you hurt my feelings. Right. I mean, I don't know about you, but I'm married and there are times you, when you obviously know you obviously know me, Angela, because Mark can attest <laughs> to this. Anytime I'm just being an insufferable bitch. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> I just yes. had to say that again. But anytime <laughs> that I'm in a mood, the first thing he says to me, he looks at me and he's like, Let me get you some food. <laughs> like he, uh -huh. he just knows. Yeah. So yes, that is me. Yeah. I'm a I'm a hangry lady. And and all of my work is about helping that part of you that is trying to send you the signal that says, "Hey, I need some nutrients. I need I need some fuel down here, right? There's there's something happening before you get to that state that you're not connecting and it's a behavior that comes out that triggers your husband to say, "Ooh, baby, you are a Hangry diva right now. Let's get food in you. And, and so focusing on looking at what the trigger is and the reaction, and it's the reaction that gets us into the most trouble. So if we can shift what we are doing in response to the trigger, that takes us out of the rut that has come into a, a record, right? And it's, it's, it's just keeping us on that record and it's the same groove. So it's the same message. But if we do something different, especially if we do something that our intuition has whispered to us that it would like instead, boom, solutions, freedom, emotional pain resolves itself. The, the changes in 
people are miraculous simply because they listen to their intuition and oftentimes just having me edify simply by repeating what I hear, letting them hear it, they take it in. It's created a sense of personal responsibility because now somebody else knows and they get to go put it into action. Uh, I had a client that was suffering from really severe sciatic issues and she was aware that that sciatic would flare up when her husband would undermine her with their daughter. Mom would lay down the rules. Nope, you don't get to have this. She'd go run to dad. Dad would cave in. Little girl would get what she wanted. Mom was always the bad guy. Her sciatic would flare up as a response. Her body shared this information. She received the information and was like, that's exactly what's happening. Spot on, oftentimes verbatim. And then I was like, okay, body, so what is it that would help mom so that she can advocate in a conversation with dad that brings them together as a team instead of against each other all the time? And her body wanted for her to jump rope or get on a trampoline for five minutes. And I'm like, what? Okay, here we go back, Mark, with that I'm crazy. I'm like, what? <laughs> now, Inside now, my now head, you've I'm like, got me looking like, what? <laughs> exactly, exactly. I, it, the body is saying, I want, I want the next time, you know, she feels um, that she's in this conflict with her husband. Um, and is feeling resentful of this, of her daughter, I would really like it if she would just take the time out and go five minutes and go jump on the trampoline. She doesn't have to think about it. She doesn't even have to understand. All she has to know is that she's been triggered. It's connected to her feelings of not being respected. And we just want to go and jump on the trampoline. Now, other information usually comes through, which can be when mom was a little girl, at a certain age, she experienced a, a, a scenario that traumatized her and the I'm not important and nobody respects me happened at that age. And so that little girl is the one that suddenly is driving her reality fast forward into her years as a grown ass adult trying to take care of her daughter. So she's reacting from that little girl that got her feelings hurt when she was small that created the story that says, I'm not important. Hmm. So when the body was like, I just want to go out and jump on the trampoline for a little bit, the body, that little girl that is holding that trauma is saying, I just need to be reminded of what it is that I am supposed to be. And that's to take her back to the little girl, to that moment of her wounding, and to be able to give her permission to return to the truth of her, which is the joyful, lighthearted, seen and adored and celebrated little girl that loved to go jump. The mom left feeling incredibly skeptical. She was like, God, you know, when I was a kid, I was in gymnastics and I loved when dad would, you know, jumpy jump. He'd grab my hands and he'd let me jump up and down and he'd throw me in the air. And I loved the jumping. And she goes, it's so interesting that, that, that 
I'm supposed to go onto a trampoline because I love that sensation. And I haven't done it since I was a little girl. So I was like, well, your body's asking for you to take the time out the next time you find yourself feeling underappreciated or devalued with your husband or resentful of your daughter. Go take five minute time out and just go jump on the trampoline. Well, she did that three times that week when she recognized that she was triggered that way. She came back two weeks later and she said, I've not had any sciatica since. And I've been able to have conversations with my husband that I have never been able to have because I was always coming from that hurt little girl. And I was in defense instead of the grown ass woman who can articulate and advocate for herself. Wow. That's pretty cool. And like, like we said before, there's going to be some people who listen to this and don't understand and think like, okay, this lady's yeah. a little bit crazy, but there are definitely people who are going to hear this and say, and I mean, be triggered by now realizing that they have these triggers, if that makes sense. Like there's going to be yeah. people who hear this and yeah. they're like, yes, exactly. Like this is, yeah. you know, like you said, every body has some has things that they're holding on to and whether or not therapists want to acknowledge it's there I think most of us know that that's why we can work the way we do with our hands and work on people and like you said have people say how did you know that how, like it's yeah. it's in all of us we are not obviously all as gifted as you are but this was like actually pretty mind-blowing it just hit me right now I was like oh my god we've been talking to you for like an hour and a half but it was mind-blowing to learn about um like I thought we were just going to talk about being a death doula but that's not even really the focus of your work but mind-blowing to know that there's there are people that you've been able to help just by being able to let them tap into what's already inside of them anyway like it's it's so crazy to me but really really interesting and um do you want to, like, I don't know if you're on social media or whatever, do you want to give out any information for people who are listening who might want to get in touch with you? Absolutely. A lot of my work is really focused on helping body workers navigate because their hands are in the celestial soup of someone else's energy field. We're all touching other people's energy and the body keeps the score. The, and that's the book. That's an amazing book and every body worker, every massage therapist should be required to read it at least twice. Um, the body holds every story that we've ever had from this life, our DNA lives. And for those that, that find themselves drawn to the belief that there are past lives, it's all coming through. And I work with a lot of professional massage therapists that are struggling with, uh, oh my God, I felt like I was the abuse victim right alongside my client today. I'm working, I've got a, I've got a gal that specializes in trauma touch, um, which is, I believe, a certified form of touch therapy. And she's been working a lot with um, women who were abducted and used as sex workers. We have a, a pretty tight but present group of um, refugees and such here in our area. And she works with that community of women. And she called in tears and she says, I can't shake the disgusting feeling that I have. And I was working on one of my gals and I felt 
and I tasted and I smelled and I heard, and I don't know what to do with it. And I'm scared. How do I create the boundaries that protect me and my client? And so that's a lot of the work that I do now. Well, there's definitely going to be people that want to get in touch with you, Angela. So um, feel free to give give out whatever you want, whether it's your social media, your email, um, where can people find you? Absolutely. So I'm on Instagram at Divine Insights by Angela. I have a website, LondonWellnessSolutions.com. And then I'm on social media uh, with Divine Insights. And I believe it's Divine.Insights. And then it might be dot Angela. I don't have any of it up in front of me. And then Angela London, my Facebook page, my personal Facebook page is um, public. And um, again, Divine Insights on Facebook and Divine Insights by Angela on Instagram. Awesome. Well, like I said, I didn't even realize until I looked up at the clock yeah. that we've been talking for so long. And um, normally Mark and I are like jumping in and talking every 10 seconds, but both of us literally just sat here and listened. I don't know that I've ever been so quiet during a recording. So I don't know if this is a good thing, a bad thing. No, I'm just kidding. I don't know what you did to me tonight, Angela, but I was just like, what? Tell me more things. Like I, it's, this is the kind of episode that's really intriguing to me because I don't really have much to add to the conversation. It's just interesting to learn about something. And I love hearing the different types of work that body workers do. Like, you know, you started out as a massage therapist and now I understand why you say that you don't call yourself a massage therapist because you don't work like a massage therapist. You, Mm -hmm. you work with, um, people's bodies. Yes. But you do a hell of a lot more than that. And uh, thank you for spending time and explaining this to me. And although you might not think you articulated it well, I I, I think you did. I think yeah, I, I understand a little bit about 100%. what's what's happening. Whether or not I'll ever understand what it feels like, it is a totally different story. But I understand what you're doing for people when they come for sessions with you? Well, maybe one of these days, um, it's one of my heart's goals to do a little bit of a tour. I've got clients in Santa Barbara. I've got clients in San Francisco, San Diego. I've got clients in Seattle, uh, North Carolina. I'd really love to do a, a tour. And if I could put you on my list, I'd be happy to get my hands on you if you're open. Uh, and I'll put Canada on the list. All right. Sounds good. All right. Well, we will let you go back to your regular life. Thank you so much for hanging out with us tonight, Angela. Yes, it was really you. fun. This was cool. Thanks very much. Absolutely, you guys. Thank you for putting aside the time. And um, I look forward to continuing to learn from you guys. I love your podcast. Right on. You guys have been listening to Two Massage Therapists in a Microphone Purse.